Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, March 18th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi was largely spared the severity of yesterday's storms. We assessed the effects with MEMA. Then, what the American Rescue Plan could do for the state of child care in Mississippi, especially that of single mothers. Plus, in today's book club, a literary look at the Magnolia State's vast landscapes in W. Ralph Eubanks's book, A Place Like Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are waking up to cooler temperatures following a severe weather system that swept its way through the state yesterday. The wave of storms that brought with it heavy rain, strong winds, and multiple tornadoes left behind property damage in nearly all corners of the state. County emergency managers across Mississippi are reporting the effects of the storm to the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Mallory White is Director of External Affairs with MEMA. She tells our Michael Guidry through assessment of the affected areas or thorough assessments of the affected areas will begin today. Right now, we are counting around 16 unconfirmed tornadoes. Of course, that'll have to be validated by the National Weather Service in their respected areas. Um, so right now, what we have seen uh, are very small damage reports at this time. We know that we saw yesterday in Wayne County some chicken houses that were destroyed. Uh, Clay County has an estimated 60 homes and 10 apartments and 14 roads um, that have some type of debris or uh, flash flooding. Wilkinson County reporting to us some damage, Octibaha as well, with trees down. The Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians had some power lines down, and Hines County reporting some trees down and power lines down in their county as well. So nothing too significant at this point, but now with the sun up, we're going to be able to get a better look. We're going to have boots on the ground doing a damage assessments, assisting our counties in doing their damage assessments so we can get a better grasp of just how much um, this storm has impacted our state. Right now, the count is about 20 counties that have impact, that have been impacted from these storms. And you named a few of those counties, and uh, from what you were able to name, 
Uh, we have we have Clay County up in northeast Mississippi. You said um, down in uh, you know Wayne County, we know of one. Wilkinson County in southwest Mississippi. So it was forecast that the entire state could be affected by the wave of strong storms that came through. Is is that what you're seeing in your initial assessments? And they are accurate. Um, it seems like every portion of the state, north, south, east, and west, has had some type of damage. They have been touched some way by the storms that came through. I will tell you, since at least me being here, I have never seen pink show up on a forecast as far as the high advisory or the um, particularly dangerous situation that the Storm Prediction Center put out. Um, it, it's been a, it's been quite some time since that's actually happened, and so we were worried. We were worried about the potential for uh, deadly tornadoes to come through. Right now, we have not had any reports of storm-related deaths. We um, are keeping an ear out and just waiting for our counties to get that information in to us, and so. Uh, I, I would hate to say that we were lucky because we do have some families that are experiencing some damage to their homes, and that's always a hard situation to go through. One thing that we want to encourage our um, homeowners out there to do, uh, if you do need a tarp for your roof or anything like that, uh, the uh, we encourage you to go to your county EMA director first, let them know about the needs that you may have, and then if they uh, exhaust all of their resources, they come to the state and request. Right now, the only requests that we've seen from our counties at this point um, are for disaster reservists, and disaster reservists are people that we keep on hand that we call in the middle of an emergency to come in and assist us with manpower. Of the damage that's been reported, and you've mentioned some of it, have there any, has any been a result of, of hail? Hail was a was one of the things that uh, was forecast could come with the system, um, and you know up to tennis ball size hail. Mm-hmm. Is the damage you're seeing a result of tornadic activity? You know, strong winds, or are you having reports of hail damage as well? Right now, it looks more like winds. This type of wind damage, um, possibly tornadoes. This is what the the type of um, damage that we are seeing right now. The hail that we saw, I believe it was Tuesday night, may have caused some damage, but we didn't get any damage reports from the hail that happened on Tuesday night. A lot of this is from your wind and possibly tornadic activity. MEMA has been dealing with a, a number of disasters, I think nine active uh, disasters, nine active emergencies uh, in, in 2020. Um, yeah. Now we, we, you know, we're into March of, of 2021, uh, and we have our first, well, our second really major weather system. With everything going on, um, I know MEMA helped respond to the Jackson water crisis. Uh, MEMA is is constantly and persistently involved in some of the COVID-19 relief how are how are things big picture and uh are the resources there for everything that mema uh is is providing assistance with the resources are there uh, and if we get to the point where we need more resources the contracts are in place uh for the ppe for covid we have been able to really get a uh, definitive source of PPE. We have our uh, vendors in place for that if we run into an issue, but we have an amazing stockpile that is at our State Emergency Logistical Operations Center, our CLOC, our warehouse in the Byram area. 
Um, as far as your type of supplies, like your water, your tarps for those types of emergencies, we do have a, a stockpile of that as well. So our resources are doing well. We are holding strong. Our people are doing well. We are holding strong. Um, we have a, a wonderful leader who watches out for our people here, and um, we rotate in and out if we need to. I think everyone has seen a little bit of fatigue for the last year between COVID and, like you mentioned, the nine disasters that we went through just in 2020. We currently have 22 open federally declared disasters. And so it's a lot. It's a lot that our um, our one agency is working with. And we have on a good day, about 155 employees. And so our disaster reservists are really crucial and are very important to the work that we do here. And so we cannot thank those that have signed up to be disaster reservists to help us out uh, in our time of need because we need the manpower as well. Mallory White, Director of External Affairs for the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Thank you so much for keeping us informed. Thank you. Coming up, what the American Rescue Plan could do for the state of child care in Mississippi, especially that of single mothers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Included in the sweeping COVID-19 relief plan championed by National Democrats and the Biden administration are mechanisms to address the challenges of child care. In Mississippi, the average cost of child care is $6,000 a year. That's according to Carol Burnett, executive director of the Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative. She shares how funding through the American Rescue Plan could expand access to affordable child care for low-wage earners, especially single moms. It's very expensive. It takes a big bite out of the wages of a single mom's salary. So with the child care assistance voucher that the state offers, that amount is dramatically reduced. The amount it's reduced is um, driven by a sliding fee scale. Uh, The child care assistance doesn't make child care free. What it does is it makes the child care cost less. So that if a parent pays more, then the parent has to pay more. But if the parent earns less, then the parent pays less. And the sliding fee scale is set by the Department of Human Services. And um, depending on the income, a mom's child care costs could get reduced by as much as 80% if they get a child care assistance voucher. Let's move on to the really good news with the coronavirus relief package. How significant is this influx of money? It is incredibly important. Um, This influx of money means that Mississippi is going to be able to go from serving about 30,000 children a year to serving about 90,000 children a year. And that is hugely important for Mississippi's workforce this program really is a work support. The way it works is the voucher lets a parent go find their child care. 
which means the parent can choose child care that covers their work hours so they don't have to piecemeal after school or summer care. I mean, their child, they can pick a provider where their child can stay in the same place while the parent is at work. And the number of kids is going to increase a lot, which means that the state is going to be able to serve families. I mean, what they've done, because the money has been only enough to serve a small portion of those eligible, they've served the parents who are at the lowest income level. But this program, I mean, for a family of three, a family earning up to $45,000 a year still qualifies. And that's what I mean when I say it's a work support program. It's intended to help families that uh, are working, but they're just not earning enough money to afford the high cost of child care. Isn't it also significant for child care centers themselves, which have suffered over this pandemic year? Yes. A bucket of this new money is to expand services to more kids, but another bucket of this money is to shore up the child care sector. And what that means is the state has a chance to really uh, help these child care centers that have been serving these low-income moms. And during the pandemic, they have suffered so much financially. They've had a hard time keeping their head above water. And so this is going to help the state um, make them more able to recruit and retain their staff, more able to pay for the sanitizing costs they're incurring, more able to overcome all of the financial challenges they've experienced as a result of the pandemic. Also, the child tax credit, that's got to help. Yes, that's going to make a big difference in child poverty. And because Mississippi has the highest child poverty rate in the country, that is going to have an incredibly positive impact on our state. Carol, is this ongoing or is there a long-term impact? Are we are we talking short-term? Well, the grant, the federal block grant, this money is coming to the state through, allows the state to have three years to spend it, which means that we don't have uh, an immediate uh, deadline that we're up against. But it isn't permanent, and you're right to point out that, you know, there is going to be, it is short-term in the sense that we will only be able to have this higher level of of income for about a three-year period. But for that three-year period, we're going to be able to help the single moms who need help with child care. And we see this as a bridge to higher wages. I mean, I look at it like, you know, in our Employment Equity Project, we get calls from moms who need child care so they can go to job training or child care so they can go get their two-year degree. And that bridge to higher wages, I mean, the most important building material for that bridge is affordable child care. And that's what this program can do. It can move more moms from living in poverty despite working full-time to earning a wage that can support their family. These are moms that are working full-time and looking for job training or are able to incorporate that into their schedule? If they can incorporate it in the schedule, they only are able to do that if they get child care. If they are trying to do it by doing online courses or doing courses at night or on the weekends, I mean, all of those additional activities that a single parent is trying to do while she's also caring for her child require that she have child care so that she's able to do that. How are you reaching 
mothers in the state to let them know what's on the horizon, what's coming that's going to help them? Yes, we're in touch with, oh my gosh, in our Employment Equity Project, we've had almost 600 moms reach out to us seeking help to get into activities that are going to help increase their wages. Child care centers that are part of our child care center network that serve low-income moms all have waiting lists, and they have openings in their center. And people are confused about how a center can have a waiting list and also have openings. And the answer to that is because the parents on the waiting list simply don't have enough money to pay the fee to get their child into an available slot. So this money can help by giving that parent one of these child care assistance vouchers so she can afford to get her child into that slot. And you're right to point out that this is going to increase the number of moms who are working. I mean, IHL has said that expanding the supply of child care assistance is going to increase workforce participation in the state. So it's really a win-win for everyone. Carol Burnett is the executive director of the Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative. You're going to get busier than you've been in a while, and you're always busy, so I'm sure and you I'm don't mind. I'm very happy about that. It's yeah. worth celebrating. Carol, <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. Another source of assistance for low-wage earning single mothers in Mississippi is Medicaid. Reauthorization of the health care program for low-income residents is at a stalemate in the state legislature. Both a Senate and House bill that lay out the rules for operating the Mississippi Division of Medicaid have died in the opposite chamber. But lawmakers say it's likely they'll iron out their differences before the session is over. The Medicaid technical, technical amendment bill must be reauthorized every three years. House Republican Joey Hood shares the Medicaid committee. Historically, the tech bill has always gone to conference, and so I feel like we'll get together with the Senate and work out a compromise. The health care of all Mississippians is at stake if they don't. If a bill isn't passed by the legislature, the governor would operate the low-income health insurance program. More than 750,000 low-income Mississippians receive health care coverage through Medicaid. Coming up in today's book club, a literary look at the Magnolia State's vast landscapes in W. Ralph Eubanks' book, A Place Like Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A writer, journalist, public speaker, professor, and Mississippian, W. Ralph Eubanks has also served as the director of publishing of the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and is currently a visiting scholar of English and Southern Studies at the University of Mississippi. Eubanks has written a new book that paints the landscapes of Mississippi through the pens of Mississippi's greatest writers. It's called A Place Like Mississippi, and as Eubanks tells us, the book wasn't his idea. The publisher came to him. The approach that they came to me with was to begin the story in the Delta, since that's where Mississippi's literature begins, 
And I kind of turned that on its head and said, why don't we start with Jesmyn Ward and Natasha Trethewey on the Gulf Coast, then work our way through the state and end in the Delta, where we can see where Mississippi's new literary culture is springing from, and then end in that place where it all began. People tend to think about the Delta first when you think of Mississippi. And I think that the Gulf Coast is an interesting place to begin because it's where Mississippi rebuilds and remakes itself. You know, all those things that have happened on the Gulf Coast with natural disasters, with Camille, with Katrina. And what you see on the Gulf Coast is how Mississippi reinvents itself. And that really comes out in the work of those two writers. In looking at the landscape itself, you have this lush background, but you have some serious, tragic events or situations. How do you reconcile that? It is difficult to reconcile. Mississippi is a beautiful place. I think so often people outside of Mississippi think of it in terms of that trauma. I want them to see the beauty, but I also want them to connect with the trauma. I don't want to gloss over that. It is a difficult thing to reconcile, but it is once you begin to look at the landscape with an eye toward both of those, you do see this very torrid beauty here, and it makes you think about what it is that we can do to heal some of that trauma. And that's what I hope that readers will will begin to think about. What is it that we need to do to heal this this trauma? And I want to think about that not just in terms of Mississippi, but I think in terms of the nation. I, I think of this is not just a book about Mississippi's literary landscape. I'm hoping that we look much more broadly at our national landscape and how is trauma imprinted on our national landscape as well, and where are we not seeing it. How many writers do you include in this book? I would say there are about 40 writers. I would assume, but you correct me, that you have Faulkner and Welty and Richard Wright and Willie Morris and Barry Hanna. All of those writers are are part of this book. William Attaway, who is a contemporary of Richard Wright, who worked with him at the Federal Writers Project in Chicago. A real wide variety of writers and thinking about how this landscape affected them and how sometimes real places kind of blended with imagined places. From lush, beautiful, to gritty, dirty? I mean, is all of that included? All of that is included because you've, you, you've got the gritty and dirty world of, of Larry Brown, who really looks at this gritty, dirty South, not the, the sanitized South. And we look at Jackson from really two sides. That there's Eudora Welty's Jackson, but there's Kiese Lehman and Angie Thomas's Jackson, which is very different. There's Margaret Walker's Jackson. I don't want to forget Margaret Walker because I think she's such a significant Mississippi literary figure. There's Brad Watson who writes about East Mississippi, East Mississippi Hills. So I've really tried to touch on every landscape in the state, including my native Pinewoods, a part of the state that I think people tend to drive through on their way from the coast to Jackson and not think a great deal about. As you were reading and getting into all of these writers, what surprised you? What didn't you expect to find? I guess the thing that I didn't expect to find was connections that I shared with so many of these writers. There are certain writers that you put up on a pedestal and you don't think that you have any real connection with them. 
But by the end of this book, I felt a real connection with every single writer that I really mention here. I think that was probably the most surprising thing for me. For those who aren't familiar with you, let me just tell our listeners that you are the author of Ever is a Long Time and The House at the End of the Road. You are a contributor to the Chicago Tribune, the American Scholar, Time, the Wall Street Journal, the New Yorker, and NPR. You are a recipient of the Guggenheim Fellowship, a fellow at the New American Foundation, and a visiting professor of Southern Studies at the University of Mississippi. No slacking off there, I'll have to say. (laughs) W. Ralph Eubanks is the author of A Place Like Mississippi, A Journey Through a Real and Imagined Literary Landscape. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your book. Oh, it's such a pleasure talking with you and, and getting to talk about Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.